Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the podcast by Yafa Palti. Hi, that's me, called Living on Purpose. And tonight we're going to have a very special um, edition, I guess, that is special for Tuba of. Tuba of is this coming Friday, and it is a very, I guess it's a small but significant holiday. Uh, for the Jewish people, and it, I don't think it gets nearly as much attention as it should, and maybe it gets the wrong kind of attention, like maybe people don't even understand the significance of Tuba Av, so I'm not going to go into all the details now, but it's definitely worth looking into. Uh, the Mishnah actually teaches us that Tuba Av and Yom Kippur are on the same level, and they are the two most important holidays in the Jewish calendar. So, I mean, come on, it's up there with Yom Kippur. We should really know what Tuba Av is. The one thing I will tell you is Tuba Av is a time of happiness, and it's always, always connected either very close by to um, Shabbos Nachamu, either it's on Shabbos itself or near Shabbos. Shabbos Nachamu is, um, you know, the time of comfort. It's when Hashem comforts the Jewish people, and it's kind of like the time when he accepts the Tuba that we have done. Tisha B'Av, we know, comes from certain mistakes that we have made, and Tuba of, I'm sorry, and Shabbos Nachamu is an expression to us by Hashem that no matter what happens and no matter what we've done, Hashem still loves us and He's still there for us. And that's why Tuba of is something that's so important and so special and something that we really could connect with because Tuba of is really is showing that um, that everything moves on, and no matter who we are or what we've done, and that's why it's just as important as Yom Kippur, because Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, the day of forgiveness. So it's really all connected to that, um, just in a tiny nutshell. But I want to talk a little bit about what Tuba Av has become, the reputation that Tuba Av has, which is one of love. It is kind of like the Jewish Valentine's Day or the real Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day was, you know, maybe taken from this, but that's what Tuba Av is all about and this is why it became known as the time of Shaduchim and what happened was back in the day uh, um, the Jewish people actually what happened over here on Tuba Av was that the women used to dress in white and they used to go out in the streets and start dancing and they were you know, I guess in a, in a circle, and the men who had not been married yet, they would go out and choose a woman from the circle of women that were dancing. And it was all nice and romantic and beautiful. Um, but that's why Tuba Av became known as the day of love and of Shaduchim. So I want to talk a little bit about love. Now, I'm just going to preface this by saying that, <clears throat> I'm sorry, there is so much to say. There is so much that I want to discuss with you. And I've given this talk many times more, you know, more as a class than a talk. Um, and it really needs to be interactive. I love when it's interactive. So I'm going to try my best. Obviously, I can't make it very interactive now. But if there's something you want to say, or if you have a question, feel free to call in, of course. Um, otherwise, feel free to message me privately afterwards. You can reach me on Instagram, Yafapalzi. And I'm happy to talk about it because I know there's a lot, a lot, a lot to discuss in this. The next thing I'm going to tell you is there's no way, absolutely no way, I'm going to be able to finish everything that I want to say tonight in one hour. So now we have 49 minutes left. So um, maybe we'll continue this next week if I see uh, people want to continue it. Okay? That is the question. So I'm going to start with a very basic question. What is love? What is love? Love is something we hear about all the time. Love is something that makes the world go round. Love is something that the media throws around all the time. Love is something that we pursue and chase constantly, and we think actually that love is what's going to bring us happiness. And, we're, and this is something, it's a big word. It's a big, big word in life, love. And very unfortunately, we misunderstand love um, pretty often, we're misled about what love actually is. And I'm going to ask you something. And again, anyone who's been listening to, to my, my podcast the past few weeks, we have touched upon love a little bit. 
So obviously we're going to be getting into it in a much deeper way, but you might know the answer to these questions if you've been paying, paying attention. So the first question is, can you deliberately love someone? Or does it just happen? In other words, are you just a victim of love? Is it something that just happens to you? Or can you actually be a creator of love? Can you decide to love someone deliberately? And I think we have actually been misguided and misled by our society, by Hollywood, um, regarding love, what it is and what it isn't. And that's why I think it's important for us to get some perspective on what love really is. And by perspective, I mean, what does the Torah say about love? What do we as Jews believe that love is? So the Torah, as we know, is the science of life. So when we want to understand all the deeper ideas in life and the deeper concepts, we go to the Torah and we say, what does the Torah have to say about it? So when we open the Torah, you would think maybe there'll be an index. And you look down the index, where does you love? There's love, open it up to love, and it defines love for us. But we know that that's not really how the Torah works. And really, I mean, it's, it's, it, should, it should be that way, right? If, if the Torah is meant to guide us, then why can't we just find love in the index? And I'll tell you why. Because human beings can't appreciate something that comes too easily to them. The Torah encourages us to look more deeply into it and to find lessons within each concept for ourselves. So the Torah wants us to look into it, to search through the Torah, and to find lessons of love that are vital for life. So let's go to the place where I learn love from. And that is right when the Jewish people left Egypt. So what's the story there? Let's set the scene. We have the Egyptians, the entire nation, leaving Egypt, chasing after the Jews. Now, this is not quite the most romantic time in history. So where am I getting love from this? Let's, let's continue. In the way that the Torah expresses this chase of the Egyptians after the Jews, there's something very unusual. Here are the words that the Torah actually uses. It says, Mitzrayim nosea acharehem. The Egyptians travel behind them. But there is something wrong with the sentence. Any Hebrew speakers listening in, let's see if you can pick up on what the problem is here. Mitzrayim nosea acharehem. Um, the, the Egyptians were many. It wasn't just one person chasing after them. And the word nosea is singular. And there was an entire nation of people chasing after them. So the question really is, it should be in the plural. Nosim acharehem. Because there were many, many people chasing after them. So why is it written here in singular form? So now we look into Rashi, because Rashi explains every single part of the Torah, the parts that we don't understand. He clarifies everything for us. And Rashi says something fascinating. He says the Torah is giving us another layer of information over here. What do we learn from a plural that becomes a singular? Right? Something that's plural and it's being stated as a singular. The one thing we learn from that is and I'm sure some of you are saying it right now, it's that obvious, unity. The Egyptians in this moment, they were united. And here are the words of Rashi. And I, I want you to pay attention to this because this is going to be, the words that I'm saying now are what this entire podcast is about. Rashi says that the Egyptians were united, belev echad keish echad. Listen carefully. Belev echad keish echad. No, no, no. It is not what you're thinking. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, isn't it the opposite? Keish echad, belev echad? No. Actually, Rashi says over here, belev echad keish echad, and this is very significant. He says they were with one heart as one man in their chase of the Israelites. With one heart as one man. Now, let's skip over a few psukim later to the next parsha. This all happened in Bishalach. Let's go to, to Yisro or to Yitro now. So the Jews crossed over the sea and they are standing right in front of Harsinai, ready to receive the Torah. 
And the Torah says, Vayichan Sham Yisrael Neged Hahar. Okay, the Torah says over there, listen carefully to the words again, Vayichan Sham Yisrael Neged Hahar. What does this mean? And again, I want you to pay attention to the words. <clears throat> the Jewish people, they were standing there together at the foot of the mountain, ready to receive the Torah. And again, we have this singular language being used for a group of people. So once again, we have the same situation. And Rashi comes in again. But this time he says the famous sentence, Ke'ishachad belevechad. So here we have two different areas of unity. Okay, we understand that the Jews were united over here to receive the Torah. And we understand that the Egyptians were united in their chase of the Jews. And both times we're being told the same concept, but the words are completely switched around. With the Egyptians, we have, they were with one heart as one man. And by the Jews, we have, they were as one man with one heart. Oh, so let's try to understand <clears throat> why does Rashi change the order over here. <clears throat> Sorry, give me a second. I'll take a drink. <clears throat> Okay, so why does Rashi change the order over here? Now, we, we, anyone who knows Rashi, Rashi, who, by the way, is absolutely amazing, and if I had the opportunity to meet anybody who is no longer in this world, it would definitely be Rashi. Only a couple of people, a few, few people in mind, but Rashi, Rashi is my reason that I believe in God, pretty much. Okay, that's a long story for another time, but Rashi is absolutely incredible. And Rashi Anyone who knows him well knows that he is extremely exact and accurate. He's not just writing these words for poetically pleasing reasons. He's not just, um, you know, oh, I wrote it the first way. Uh, I wrote it like this the first time. I'll have to change the wording for the second time. He's not just trying, you know, to have a beautiful poetic license. He is extremely accurate and he is deliberate in his wording. So he, there's a reason why he did this. So now let's discuss unity a little bit and let's see if we can understand if it can all come together. So there are two types of unity. The first type of unity is what we call a merge. A merge is something that happens very often in business. If I have, let's say I have $10 million, and I don't have time to do business with it, and frankly, I don't even know what to do really. I just have the money, but I don't know how to you know, create the business. So what do I do? I look around for someone to help me with it. And I create a really nice partnership. I find this young guy, I give him the money, we go into business together. And in the beginning, everything goes really well. We're selling and selling. And it's flying. And the, it's just, it's expanding. It's growing. We're really, really making it. And we meet every Thursday. We discuss uh, the week and we discuss the next week and we go for drinks together and we have fun and we laugh together and we really have a great time. Um, I pay him. It's just amazing. And this happens every single week and business keeps growing and growing. Now, this happens the first two years. All is incredible. What happens the third year? The third year, it's just not going so well anymore. I don't know, maybe he's slacking off a bit, just not going great. Uh, we're losing profits. Our sales are going down, not making that much money, so we start meeting less often, and the meetings become quicker, not as much fun anymore. Finally, one day I call him over, and I tell him, you know what, forget it. This is not working. Go take half the, half the business. I'll take half the business. Goodbye. We don't have to see each other again. And it's over. Our business relationship is over. Our, everything about it is done. Okay? The question is, but what happened to the love? Weren't we best friends? right? There was so much love between us. We enjoyed each other. So what happened to the love? You see, I never really loved him. What happened over here was I loved myself and I wanted money. So he was a means to an end, right? My real desire over here was to make money. And at that moment, he was the person to bring me the goods. He was the person who was able to give me what I wanted in that moment. So as long as he was providing, 
what I truly wanted, it was love. But as long as he wasn't delivering the goods anymore, then our whole entire unity fell apart and our love just disappeared. And this is how we understand a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos that says, Kol ha'arava shetluya badavar, all love that is dependent on a selfish desire, batel hadavar, batel ha'arava. As soon as that thing, that desire disappears, as soon as it's gone, then the love is gone also. And once, once, once that thing I desire is gone, there's no love anymore. And that's what emerge is all about. When, I, when somebody is serving me, when someone is giving me what I need, I can love them. And there are many, many marriages that start off like this. Many. I guess it's normal, you know, to start off this way because in the beginning, maybe you're looking for someone who is going to, you know, bring out, serve you, give you what you need, okay? Uh, whatever your needs are, whatever your love language is, if you, you know, if you want to call it that, right? This person is doing it for you. He's delivering the goods. So in the beginning, it's all wonderful, right? But what happens when the goods are no longer being delivered? So we're going to get into that a little bit soon. Okay, soon. That was just, that was number one. That was the merge. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this love that I call the Egyptian love. Egyptian love is all good when it comes to business because everyone knows that at the end of the day, we both just wanted money, so it's fine. You can end a business relationship like that. Whatever. We get it. But when it comes to a personal relationship, there are lots of people who never loved anyone other than themselves, and they're always driven by the desire to achieve some selfish love. So some people enter into a relationship because they want emotional support. Some people enter into a relationship because they want physical pleasure. Some people enter into a relationship for the financial gain. There are all different reasons why you would enter into a personal relationship. But the bottom line is, okay, first of all, once the object of my desire disappears, my love will disappear too, right? If I married someone because I really needed their words of affirmation. And in the beginning, that's what he was giving me. He was giving me all the words of affirmation that I needed, all the compliments that I needed, building me up, making me feel like a million dollars, making me feel beautiful. So that's what I needed. And that's why I married him. Now, what happens when real life hits, right? It only lasts in the beginning because soon there's a mortgage to pay and soon there are children, hopefully. And soon and maybe some of those children will actually have you know some special needs and soon there are you know so many stresses in life that happen and you know what I'm no longer getting those words of affirmation in the way that I feel like I need them and it's creating a distance between me and my husband right and then what happens let's say I go to work and my boss or a co-worker of mine is filling me up with words of affirmation. And they're telling me how beautiful I look and they're telling me how great a job I'm doing. And they're giving me all of the things that I need. Then what happens? I found someone else who can provide the goods. I don't need my first relationship anymore. And this is often what happens in a merge relationship. Okay? What happens is we're, we're just in it to, to get something out of it because I love myself, so therefore I need what the other person has to offer. Now, the problem with this is, and I'm sure you could understand what the problem is, but I'm going to say it anyway. The problem is that you risk. You take a huge risk over here because the unity will disappear once the selfish gain was achieved or once that person can no longer give us whatever that desire was or if we can find it somewhere else. So that's the risk we're taking because then the unity disappears. It's not there anymore and the love disappears too, but even more. Okay, here's what's even worse. The fact that someone who has only ever entered into a love relationship for the sake of personal gain has never really loved anyone but him or herself, so that person tragically is the loneliest person in the world. 
Now, let's understand. What's belev echad? Belev echad ke'ish echad. Okay, this is the Egyptian love that we're talking about over here. Lev is the heart that represents the place of our love. The Egyptians that were chasing the Jews, they never really loved each other. They understood that what they really wanted was their slaves back. They're like, oh my gosh, well, we made the biggest mistake. Had we let them go, we want them back. So over here, they didn't love each other. They just needed each other. So they were a means toward an end. They were all just using each other. Their live, their desire was the drive of the unity. And therefore, they were ke'ish echad. They were like one man. Right? Let's understand this. Their love was not a real love for each other. They just needed each other. So because of their desire, they, had the, they shared a desire. And because of their common desire, they united as one. That was the, the drive behind their unity, just something that they needed from each other. And by the way, things have not changed that much at all throughout history. <laughs> Side point. Now let's get to the next aspect. By us, when we were standing and ready to receive the Torah, the words Rashi says over there were, we were like one man who then had one heart. And here's what's fascinating. There wasn't a desire that was driving our unity. We were united without a specific desire. We were united not because we needed something from each other, but because we actually loved each other. So the question really is, how does that happen? How do you transform a bunch of people into one? And in that, for that matter, how do you transform even two people into one. How can that be when we each have our own needs and our own desires? So I want to define love for you right now. Okay, the definition of love. Listen carefully to this. The definition of love is looking for and finding the virtue in another human being. Finding something in someone else that you admire. But you know what? It's more than that because looking for something positive about someone, whatever, it's, it's pretty easy. It's not that hard. You can look around a room at a room full of people, even people that you don't know, and I'm sure you can find something nice to say about everybody, something positive about everyone. That's not really where the challenge is. The challenge is to take that thing that you admire in the person and to focus on it and to actually start defining the person by that virtue, defining them by that strength, by that goodness. That is the definition of love. I'm sorry, speaking of love, one of my children just came in right now and I just need to see what they want. So give me one second, I'm sorry. Yes, quick, quickly because I'm busy with this. What is it? Um, tomorrow could you wake me up to go to Tomkit? Yes. Tell me I'm Okay, yes, goodbye. But I need, I need you to go out for a few minutes now and tell everyone he can open the package. Okay. Okay, goodbye. Okay, sorry. Um, that's the definition of love. It is looking at another person, figuring out what are their strengths? What are their virtues? I'm going to find it, and I am going to focus on it, and I'm going to define them by that, okay, by those virtues. That is altruistic love because it has nothing to do with me. I don't love what you give me. I love what you are. This is the next level of love. I don't love what you give me. It's not that I want something from you or need something from you. I just love you. I love what you are. I found somebody in life who has virtues that I admire, who has midot that I admire, and I love that. Now, I think I've mentioned to you a few weeks ago when I spoke very briefly about love, I'm going to say it again, um, and maybe a couple of different examples. When I ask brides that I'm teaching before the wedding, or sometimes when I ask married women, okay, they're already married, and sometimes I ask them, what do you love about your spouse? 
or why did you choose to marry this person? So very often, they're extremely confused by my question. They don't even understand the question. A lot of them don't understand that love is a choice. Love is an action verb. Love is not something that you are a victim of. Love is something that we create. It's something that we cultivate. It's something that we are in charge of. It is deliberate. And when I ask these people, why do you love your husband? So first they're confused because they just say, I I don't know, because I love him, because I fell in love with him. I don't know. And then I, I press them further and say, but there has to be something about him. There has to be a reason you chose him and not someone else. And it really takes them a while to understand what I'm saying and what I'm getting at. And finally, finally, when they catch on a little bit, most of the time they have the same answer. Most of the time they say, he makes me happy. He makes me happy. He makes me laugh. I, like, I love who I am with him. I can be myself with him. And I really look at them and I'm like, and with me, what you're Are you your grandfather with me? Like, who are you with me? What does that mean you can be yourself with him, right? And what does it mean he makes you feel good, right? All of these answers, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. That's why I don't ask these questions to them in front of their spouses. Because I want them to understand this, this is not good enough. These are not good enough reasons. Why? Because you're answering about you. That's how you feel. It has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with who he is. What should you be answering? When I ask you, what do you love about your spouse or your future spouse? The answers have to be some kind of virtue that you admire and respect in him. He's honest. I love his honesty. I love his ambition. I love that he never gossips about people. I love how he treats his parents. I love how he treats the waiters. I love how he treat people, anything. There's something good in him that I love. That's what true love is. That's what altruistic love is. Otherwise, it's selfish love. I love how he makes me feel. That's about me. And that's not what real love is. And that's not love that can be everlasting. So, for example, let's just say I find this person. I'm dating someone. And I find this person whose virtues I really admire. I love this person's character. They're just beautiful. That's who he is or that's who she is. If this person is willing to share their life with me, ah, I'd be honored. It's incredible because this is a person who I truly admire and respect and therefore I love. I can, I can love them for those things. And if they want to share my life with me, that's fine. If they choose not to share my life with me, it's okay too. I still can love that person. Because I don't need them to give me anything. They don't have to give something to me for me to love them. I can love them anyway. And this can go for, you know, this example is not only about marriage. I can love anybody. I can love anyone that I choose to love. If you want to love someone, you can love them. Focus on their qualities. Just look for their virtues. Look for their strengths. Look for their goodness. And you can love them. Okay, now let's talk about the Rambam. Because the Rambam says something really interesting. The Rambam says that there can be no love without knowledge. So with all due respect to Hollywood, there really is no such thing as love at first sight. Love at first sight scares me so much. When I see people um, who define their love as love at first sight, it actually frightens me because it's not real love. It might be infatuation. It could be. an infatuation feels like love. It feels like what we think love is, by the way. It feels like the love we've been conditioned to understand. And that's infatuation. But, infatu- but it can't be real love. You can never love that which you don't know. You just can't. So someone who really loves their spouse or their future spouse, they should be able to tell you what their main qualities are. And you should be able to think right now, if I were to ask you, what what are the main qualities of your husband or your wife or your future husband and wife? 
what are the main qualities? You should be able to list them by, by the snap of a finger. And if you can't, then it's something to really think about. It's something to really consider. Is this love the way love should be? Or maybe I need to learn how to love them the right way. Because a person who can't name the qualities of their spouse, they may be loving something that doesn't actually exist. And it really is just an illusion. So finding this person with great qualities, that's only step one, okay? This is step one. Because as you get closer to someone, now here's, here's where it gets tricky. As you get closer to someone, not only will you notice their qualities, but now what else are you going to start noticing? You're going to start noticing their weaknesses too because you're getting to know them. That's what happens when you get to know someone. It's a package because none of us are one-dimensional. We all have an entire package of positive things, of things that are less positive. We have our strengths. We have our weaknesses. And that's just who we are. And you're going to start noticing that in a person. And here's what's interesting because um, I find very often that, and tell me, you know, see if this is something that you can relate to also, if this resonates with you, that you marry someone because, you know, they do bring out a good side of you, right? And you decide to marry this person. That's very often why we marry people, right? We, they do bring out the good in us. And we appreciate who we see in them also. We end up getting married. And then all of a sudden you get married and, you know, maybe not right away, but certainly within a few years, all of a sudden, like, the worst parts of yourself are coming out, things that you've never noticed before, things that hadn't been there. And not only that, but you're also noticing the things on him that you may not have noticed before or certain negative traits, we can call them, or weaknesses that may you may have looked at earlier as charming or cute or sweet. And all of a sudden, now they're grating on your nerves, right? We suddenly start noticing the negative. So this is, um, this is a topic that maybe I want to get into next week. When, now I want to finish the idea of love, but I really would like to talk more about how to focus, how to focus. Like we're talking about being able to focus and define your spouse by their qualities and by their goodness. Maybe we can talk about that next week a little bit. But here it's interesting because what we need to understand about marriage is that you, you know, sometimes we think that marriage is just going to be a life of bliss and it's just going to keep getting better and better and better. And we're going to fall more and more in love with each other in the way that we're defining love, whatever love means, maybe in the way we're conditioned to know what love is. And all of a sudden we're recognizing that my husband has weaknesses that I didn't see before and oh my gosh who is the monster within me that has now come out. I never used to be impatient. Now suddenly I'm impatient. I never used to get annoyed at things I'm getting annoyed at now. What's happening to me? Is he bringing out the worst in me? What's going on? And this is when we start questioning ourselves. We start questioning our choices. Did I marry the right person? And I get phone calls all the time, all the time. Yes, I think I married the wrong person. I think I just, I don't know. He's not the guy I thought he was before. And, um, you know, and obviously we go through the reasonings and, you know, why, what happened. And it's usually the same thing. It's usually the same idea where we have these expectations, we, you know, of what love should be, expectations of who our spouse should be or what marriage is actually supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. When you get married, you marry your homework. You are going to be marrying the person who, yes, is now going to bring out the worst in you. It's going to happen that way. You're going to become a person who you didn't recognize before, and you're going to see all of his weaknesses also. That's what marriage does, but it does that for a reason, because marriage is all about growth. It has to be about growth. It can't stay on the base level, on the level of merge, or it won't last. You have to be able to grow together, and you have to be able to to learn, to say, okay, if this is what's happening to me, maybe this is something I need to work on now. Right now, all of my week, when you're just by yourself and all you love is yourself, you can excuse yourself all you want. You can just constantly make excuses for yourself because none of your actions will really affect anyone else. But when you really love someone and someone loves you, 
all of your actions affect each other. And that's why they need to be brought to the surface. So once all of your weaknesses are brought out, you may not have noticed them in yourself before because it didn't matter. You didn't have to see them. So you kind of just ignore them and deny them. It doesn't really matter. Now they're here, and now we need to make a choice. Now I have a choice to make. I can choose to focus on the virtues of my spouse, or I can choose to focus on their shortcomings. When it comes to my own, I need to work on them. Now I know what I need to work on. When it comes to my spouse's shortcomings, well, that's something he needs to work on. That has nothing to do with us. We have to make a choice. Am I going to choose to focus on his virtues or on his shortcomings? If you focus on someone's shortcomings, you will come to hate them. If you focus on their virtues, you will come to love them. And I can tell you story after story of people who have called me for advice regarding this because they didn't know what was happening to them. And I'll tell you one specific story just to help us understand a little bit about, um, about what I mean over here, okay, just so we can understand a little more clearly. So there was somebody who... I saw was struggling in her marriage and she kept trying to tell me that there were issues, there were things, but she couldn't pinpoint where they were. She's like, I'm just not happy. I don't know. Things are just not working out. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed. I feel like uh, he's just not the person I thought he would be. And after speaking to her again and again for a little while and trying to figure out what was going on since she couldn't really express it to me. And by the way, I, we lived in different countries, so I couldn't see her and pick up on it. It had to be by phone. I was finally able to realize really exactly what the problem was. And I want to mention this because it's so important over here for us to understand. She had certain expectations of him, which I guess is normal. Sometimes we have these expectations. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that it's good or bad right now, but I'm going to say it's normal. We do it, okay? We just have to be careful with it. Now, her expectations were that her husband was going to be extremely involved in all the ways that she wanted him to be involved. She needed him to be a very, very active father. She needed him to step up and give the kids baths and play with them on the floor very often. She needed him to drive them places. And she really had in mind for kind of like a 50-50 involvement in her marriage no matter what that's really what she wanted from him he is a person who is um he's actually a big Tamil Chacham okay a very very learned man and he's a very, he has a brilliant mind and he's the kind of like you know those like absent-minded professors <laughs> like he knows everything in the world but he doesn't remember where he put his car keys Okay, so that's kind of him, and he wasn't, he just wasn't able to do the things she wanted him to do. He was not able to give the kids a bath. He would let go of them in the middle, couldn't figure out how to shampoo them and hold them at the same time. Um, he didn't know how to have a conversation with a two-year-old. That just wasn't his strength. He could take them for a walk, but he couldn't sit on the floor and play with them. You know, all of the things that she had expected him to do, they just weren't his strengths. And she was constantly getting disappointed in him. Like, why isn't he doing I don't understand why he's not doing this. And he was getting frustrated with her. What does she expect from me? Now, all of this was subconscious. It was all subconscious because he didn't understand what she was upset about, and she didn't understand what he was frustrated about. And, um, and at a certain point, I said to her, I want you to stop right now and think of something he's really good at. Why don't you tell me one of his strengths? What is he really good at? And it actually took her a very long time to think. She really couldn't think of anything that he was good at until she finally said, he's, he's a great learner. He has a brilliant mind. Um, he comes up with amazing chidoshim. He's, really, he's just great at that. He's great at it. I said, wonderful. So now, and by the way, this person herself is also, she's a teacher. Okay? So I said to her, I'm giving you some homework. Here's what I want you to do. And by the way, you know, obviously what we were going to do next was we were going to think of other things that he's good at, maybe around the house also. But meanwhile, we were just focusing on this, okay, on the first thing she thought of. I said, I'm giving you some homework. Next time you're preparing a class to teach, 
I want you to go over to him, call him over, ask him to sit down next to you, and ask him to help you. Say, this is my topic. Can you help me find some sources from the Torah? Can you tell me what you know about this topic? Help me, help me prepare this class. And she looked at me and she said, why would I do that? I said, why wouldn't you do that? She said, because I don't need his help. I could prepare a class. I said, sweetie, you're missing the whole point. You have to focus on his virtues. You have to start respecting him for the things he's good at. And you have to help him become better at the things he's good at because that's how you're going to help build his self-esteem. Right now, you are focusing on his weaknesses, only on his weaknesses, and you're making him feel like garbage for not being able to do the things he's not good at. So he feels like he, he's, he's so insecure right now. His self-esteem is, is you know, down the drain, and he's not able to focus and do anything right. And in your eyes, he can't do anything right at all together. You have to learn to focus on the things he's good at. So you're going to have to ask him for help in the area that he's good at, not only because it will help you respect him more, but also because it's going to make him feel better about himself. And she's listening to me. And we went over this again and again and again. And she really didn't understand what I was saying. She kept saying, no, but I don't need his help. In fact, his, his ideas are boring. I don't want his help. I can, I, can look in the, I can look and find my own sources. And this went on and on. And we tried to continue. And I tried to help her focus on other areas of his strengths. And I tried to help her focus on them and bring them out in him. And she couldn't do it. She was so focused on what he couldn't do for her. She couldn't get out of that place. She just couldn't change the narrative in her mind. And very, very sadly, after a few years of trying to work on this, they actually ended in divorce. And I'm telling you this story because sometimes we're so focused on what they can't do. How many times do I have to ask him? you know, to clean that up or to fix that cabinet or to take care of this or to take care of that or how many times do I have to ask her to be more organized or whatever it is. We're so focused on the weaknesses, we start resenting them. And once we start in that vicious cycle of resentment and that vicious cycle of focusing on the negative, it's really, really difficult to change the narrative. We have to start focusing on their strengths. My weaknesses are between me and Hashem. His weaknesses are also. People call me up also. I get these kind of questions all the time. I'm going to give you another example. <clears throat> People, young wives call me up. Yes, I don't know what to do. I'm horrified. I'm embarrassed. My husband doesn't go to Shachris. He sleeps in. I don't understand this. Isn't the person I married? He was so ambitious before I married and he went to Shachris and Hamarit and he, you know, and I look at them and I say, yeah, because he's trying to impress you. Okay? This is who he really is. And that's okay. That's okay. It's hard to get up in the morning. By the way, the first question I ask them is, are you a morning person or a night person? Most of the time, the women complaining that their husbands can't get up are morning people. They don't understand it because they have an easy time getting up in the morning. Do you know that for someone who's a night person and not a morning person, it is excruciatingly difficult to get up in the morning. It is practically impossible. It is so, so, so hard. And going to Shachris is not an easy thing for people. Imagine having to go every single morning. It's hard. And then they say to me, okay, but... I'm worried about his relationship with Hashem, his avodah Hashem. And I say to him, sweetie, to her, sweetie, you're his wife. You're not his mashkiach. You're not his rav. This is not your job. Right? And they say to me, how do I get him to wake up? How do I get him to wake up? And my answer is, you don't. You don't. Him waking up for shachris is between him and Hashem. It's not your business. You want to become that nagging wife? Right? And here's what we need to understand. And we'll, we'll end off the session today with this. And I want to continue next week if, if you want me to continue because there's so much more to say and so much more we can get into in this idea. But here's what we need to understand. I'm going to have weaknesses. I'm, I, I have strengths. My husband, he's going to have his weaknesses show he has his strengths. I have to choose what I'm going to focus on. 
Do you want your spouse constantly pointing out to you the things that you do wrong? First of all, you are aware of them. And this is what I tell to those women. I'm just using the Shachwas example, but there are many other examples along the same lines. Do you think your husband is not aware that he's not going to Shachwas? Do you think it doesn't bother him that he's not going to Shachwas? It kills him. He wishes he was going. He's having, this is his struggle right now. He doesn't need you to tell him that he's doing something wrong. That's not going to help him. It's going to make him feel even worse. Think of something that you are not so good at. Maybe you're not so organized at home. Maybe you're domestically challenged. Maybe you're just having a hard time getting it together, all the laundry and the house cleaning and whatever is your job at home. I don't know. I'm just making things up, right? Would you want your husband to constantly say to you, you know, why don't I have any clean socks left in my drawer? Why are the dishes still in the sink? Why? You know you're struggling with that. You don't need him to mention it to you, right? Because here's the thing. My weaknesses are between me and Hashem, but where does it come into my relationship? It is my responsibility to work on them. It's my responsibility to do what I need to do to make my marriage the marriage it's supposed to be and, if, and the, you know, to give it that strength and that fortitude. And if I know there's something that my husband prefers I work on, it's my responsibility to work on it. Right? And when it comes to my husband also, it's his responsibility to work on his weaknesses. It's not my responsibility to focus on them. Now, how do we help them? So when these women ask me, how can I get my husband, how can I wake him up? How can I get him to go to chakras? So I say to them, first of all, you don't. It's not your responsibility. But what can you do? Your job is to focus on his strengths. What are the things he's good at? You have to tell him how good he is. In, in the things he's good at, what a great husband he is, how great he is, and, you know, maybe what a good father he is. Whatever example, I just don't want to give specific examples because it's so different to each person. Everyone has their own dynamic. Each home has their own way of dividing the labor between husbands and wives. Um, so it's all different. But use your own imaginations and, and insert your own examples here. But your job is to focus on the things he's good at and to constantly constantly build him up in the things he's good at give him give him here, here's what okay before i finish that i just want to say something because it just i remember this now and i don't want to forget it when it comes to marriage there is something that a, a man needs from his wife and there's something a man wants from his wife and there is something that a woman needs from her husband and there is something that a woman wants from her husband. And here's what it is. A man needs respect and wants love. A woman needs love and wants respect. This is how it works in a relationship. And if you can build up respect for your husband by the things he's good at, and really focus on them and really define them by them and constantly compliment them for them, constantly praise them for them. You are going to learn to love him and he is going to feel so good about himself. This is how you build him up. And here's what happens. It becomes a virtuous cycle instead of a vicious cycle of knocking him down, a vicious cycle of disrespect and of resentment. It becomes a virtuous cycle of respect and love and building him up because the more you focus on the things he's good at and the more you respect him for them and the more you love him, the better he's going to feel about himself. And just watch. The better he feels about himself, the more he'll get up and go to chakras or the more he'll get up and do the thing he wasn't doing well because now he feels good about himself so he's going to want to do it. He's going to want to keep doing things that are going to prove how much respect he deserves because he's going to want you to respect him more and more and more. And the same thing with a wife. If you can focus on your wife's virtues and you build her up in the things she's good at, don't focus on, this, on her negativity. She's aware of them. She knows them. She doesn't like them either. She doesn't want to be doing them. But that's between her and Hashem. She's going to work on them. Your job is to focus on and define her by the things she's good at and love her for them. 
just love her for them and respect her for them. And the more you love her and respect her, the better she's going to want to be. The more she's going to work. And again, it's this virtuous cycle. And she's going to want, she's going to have the space that she needs to work on her deficits, to work on her deficiencies. And she's going to be able to build herself up more and more and more. So this is the cycle and this is our choice. This is how we can choose love and how we can work on love. We focus on the virtues. Don't focus on their weaknesses. It doesn't matter. We're not going to help them at all by being that nagging spouse. It just makes things worse because we pull them down into a negative space. When we focus on their strengths and when we can respect them and love them for the goodness, for the people that they are, for their good character traits and for their strengths, then it's unbelievable what a turnaround there is because they're given a positive space and they can work on the things that are negative also. Okay, so we have that choice and this is how love can be deliberate. And I'm going to end over here because we only have three minutes left and, and the next thing is, uh, we have another topic coming up, which is, um, the next topic is called, this is all great, but how do we actually create the love? Okay? How do we create it? So, next week, I'm going to go, uh, we're going to get a step-by-step of how to do this, what it entails, and we'll speak a little bit more about this. I wanted to get into a shidduch contract, so anyone who's listening who is not yet married or has children in the age of, of maritable age, um, I want to discuss next week, Belina, what I call the marriage contract. What are the most important things to look for in a marriage? What are the things that are less significant to look for? And how to proceed with finding those things, how to be able to recognize them throughout the dating. And once you're married, how to focus on those things that were in this marriage contract and how to let go of the things that are less important. So we'll talk about all this next week. Thank you all so much for joining. It's always a pleasure learning with you and growing with you. And again, if there are any questions you have on this, please feel free to reach me um, on Instagram, Yakupalti, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Have a beautiful night and a wonderful week. And have a happy Tuba'am and a really, really comforting Shabbos Nachamu. All right. Good night.